This is a Media Lab podcast. Oh, Kyle, what's that smell? And what are you carrying there? Uh, I think the less said about this, the better. Uh, I do need you to take this giant urn that I'm carrying. I'm just going <gasps> to oh. give that to you. And uh, can you just take that out to the incinerator in the back? By the way, I built an incinerator in the back. Can I, can I open this top and see what's in it? Don't open this. Do... Do not open that. All right. I'll wait until I get outside. Yes. And then I can teach you the power of lying. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle, Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the, machine. the Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And my name is Michael Kane. No? Terrible? Nailed Oof. it. You nailed We're it. Practicing all a thousand weekend. percent. Shit. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Today, we're going to be watching the film The Cider House Rules. In other parts of the world, young men leave home and travel far and wide in search of a promising future. The only reason people journey here is for the orphanage. They wanted a girl, Curly. Nobody ever wants me. I came as a physician to the abandoned children and unhappily pregnant women. Good night, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England. Why does Dr. Lurch say that every night? Does it because we like it? And so I became the caretaker of many, father of none. Well, in a way, there was one. Story time, Fuzzy. His name was Homer Wells, and it was always clear to me. My father's eyes had closed upon the light of this world. That he was a special boy. Dave, I am so infinitely fascinated by what you're... Oh, oh Dave, we have, a, we have a knock at the, the guest the door, door here. Let me just open it up here. Alex, welcome. Hey. How's it going? Going very good. I am eternally grateful for people who find like this weird floating door out of the nether regions that appears before people and you just decide to walk through it. So I appreciate you taking the plunge. Well, isn't that what you're supposed to do when you find a door in the nether regions is go through it? Yeah, I think uh, like uh, Aesop said that once or something like that. So thank you yeah. for joining us. Um, why don't we start here? Why don't you tell people what who you are and what it is that you do? I am Alex Williams, like Kyle and Dave. I am also an avid podcaster, mm. uh, and that's pretty much what I do. I'm also studying right now, and I love movies. That's awesome. What are you studying? Uh, I actually just changed my major. Oh, great. I was, I was going to become a high school teacher, but because of some very complicated things, uh, I actually was more or less forced to change my major to applied business management. Oh. So uh, it's, it's going to be a shift, but it should be a good time. You know, not that we have actually watched this week's movie yet, uh, but if I know anything, you could just say 
that you're a teacher and just be a teacher. Like, I mean, I don't know if you actually need any special. Have you been studying like calligraphy? <laughs> if you can, if you yeah. have calligraphy skills, you're going to be okay. Is that all that's the, needed? That's pretty much vellum it. paper, I think. Well, perfect. I'll start sending out my resume. Uh, that being said, do you have like two hours to spend watching the Cider House rules with us? You know what? I got all the time in the world right now. Excellent. Just what I wanted to hear. Well, that and your father saying I love you. Uh, why don't we start with you, Alex? I would love to know what, what, what is your past with the Cider House rules? I was three years old when it came out. Excellent. That's my whole <laughs> experience with it. That's it. Also, I know Michael Caine. Oh. Not personally, no, well, but I, I know of him. I was hoping you did know him personally there for a minute. Uh, do, do you even remember hearing about this movie? Being that you are essentially, I was, well, I will say essentially a generation younger than I am. Like, does this have any cultural imprint for you, like, whatsoever? Or is this like a completely new movie when, uh, when you came to that door? A uh, literally completely new movie. This okay. is the first time I'm hearing about it. Okay. Uh, Dave, how about yourself? Yeah, I wish this was the first time I'd ever heard. No, I, I actually don't know much. I know the name. Uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I've heard of A Cider House. I have not watched this movie. I don't know what it's about. I don't know if I care. I'm glad we're going to watch it because then I can say that I know something about it. I have very limited past with this film as well like really the only i don't know awareness i have is because i do watch the academy awards literally every single year and so this would have been okay the year 2000 so i already watched three or four years at this point it was nominated for a few awards best picture best director best supporting actor for michael Caine. so i knew it from there so and i saw clips from it on that on oscar night uh, I don't know how much you know about Billy Crystal when he hosted the Academy Awards, either of you, but he was very well known for doing basically this song medley at the very beginning that incorporated like every Best Picture nominee and you crack some jokes and stuff. And not I don't know if I'm reading way too much into this again before we watch the movie, but he didn't talk about the Cider House <laughs> rules in his song for the Cider House rules. All he talked about was how great of an actor Michael Caine is and all these roles he had been in. And then he went back to talking about movies for the other ones. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But it was a fun little song. I wonder if that has anything to say about the movie we're about to watch. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll find out. The other thing I do know, pretentious film nerds, and I would include myself as one of those. You don't need to add film nerd in that sentence. Tend to label the Cider House rules as one of the worst Best Picture nominees of all time. But again, I have not seen it, so I cannot uh, give my opinion on that outlook. Especially, again, when we're looking at the year 1999, and we think about the movies that were not nominated for Best Picture that year. We're talking like Magnolia, Fight Club, Man on the Matrix. Moon. Like, There's some heavy, uh, talented Mr. Ripley a lot of people uh, put into that, too. The Red Violin. Like the Red Violin that Dave loves to bring up every episode, apparently. So there were these movies that were just shut out that uh, some people get mad at, sort of thing. So anyways, that's a very long way of me saying that's basically what I know about this Well, movie. when's the last time you heard of an Oscar-nominated movie that nobody has actually seen, other than... Uh, well, it depends on what you mean. I mean, technically, I would say The Artist might be one of those movies where I was one of the only people Adrian who probably Brody? saw that movie no. in theaters. No, it's the uh, oh, silent, silent film, film that they made back oh, yeah, in no, I haven't watched 2014 that. or whatever. Strange. Yeah. Hmm. Let's do this, though. 
instead of talking around it, let's find out what we actually think about this movie. Let's go watch it. I'll go thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about the Cider House Rules. Hey there, everyone. Kyle again, breaking into the episode to talk to you about some of our sponsors that help this show keep going. It is very early in the morning, which is why my voice sounds very, very deep. I'm very, very tired, but we need to thank these glorious institutions that, you know, uh, give us a little bit of coin to continue blabbing about films that were made 21 years ago. First and foremost, Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by CPA Alberta. It may be cliche to say by now, but we really are living in unprecedented times. That's why you should consider hiring a chartered professional accountant, also known as a CPA, to help guide you through this pandemic and jumpstart your recovery. With a CPA on your team, you can be confident you will find the best solutions to even your biggest business problems. CPAs are trained to dig in and truly understand how an organization operates, where it's already excelling, and how it can be better. For an inside look at how Alberta CPAs are supporting their clients through the pandemic, follow CPA Alberta on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also visit cpalberta.ca to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. So you know Park Power, they've been a longtime sponsor, but in Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. Park Power has low overhead, and chances are you'll save money if you switch. You can find out how much money you could save by visiting parkpower.ca and plugging your numbers into the Alberta Energy Savings Calculator. If you decide to switch, it's easy. Nothing changes about your service, only the price you pay. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. Well, I don't want to say it was a complete waste of my two hours, but uh, it definitely was a two hours that I spent watching a film. Uh, I want to know kind of quick, immediate thoughts, non-spoilery as possible. Alex, what are your immediate thoughts on the Cider House Rules? I actually enjoyed it. It kind of felt a little bit meandery, uh, but I, I like that about it. I did get the sense because I, I guess this is... It, there's a it's based off of a book mm-hmm. and I did get the sense that this is one of those movies where the book is better and you can tell that by by watching the movie but I did enjoy it and um I just felt like it was it was very human everybody was flawed everybody was complicated uh there wasn't really necessarily a hero or a villain I I thought you know for for what it was I think they did a great job Alex, I'm so glad you're going to be on this podcast because my sense is that myself and Dave are going to be super negative on this movie. So I agree with you in one sense in that I have to assume that the book fills in a lot of gaps that I feel the movie Mm -hmm. has that kind of makes it make a little bit more sense because the meandering nature, as as you mentioned, for me was a lot of like, I don't know what is actually happening or where this movie is even going to at this point. But let's talk about that a little bit more because there's other films I was thinking that kind of do a similar thing 
that I love. And yet this one was something that was like, I do not get what is going on. To be fair, do you ever know what is going on? Alex, you you mentioned that there's these elements that you love. Was there uh, a certain storyline or a mm. moment that particularly stood out to you that you liked the most? One one thing that I that I think stood out to me is Toby Maguire coming to the complicated realization of his relationship to the idea of abortion right. just in general. I think that particular thing tracked really well with me because as I've grown up, I've started exploring these gray areas and the complicated nature of everything and I thought that did such a great job of teasing that out a little bit at least you know from from my viewpoint which was good because I have I have roommates who also watch that and who have much more black and white views than I mm -hmm. do and they were even able to watch that and kind of be like oh you know like okay I, I think I'm starting to understand a bit more um so on that end I th I think that was something I particularly enjoyed. All right. Dave, what are your immediate thoughts on this film? Well, I recently received uh, feedback that I uh, <laughs> that I don't expound. Whatever could you that mean? That I Dave? don't expound on my opinions a lot, and that once I have an opinion, I seem to just uh, stick with it. So I'm going to try to explain myself that uh, I didn't like this movie. Yeah, that's okay, all I got. Great. No, I, I, I think when you know, I mean, meandering is such a apologetic word. It's just, it just doesn't know what it's doing. The surprising thing that you guys bring up with the book is that the author of the book wrote the screenplay for this movie. So, you, did, you know, yes. uh, you can do a better job uh, of adapting your own novel if you have a strong theme of what you're trying to communicate. And I didn't pick it up. Uh, clearly, abortion. I don't know if we're spoiling it. It's a big current. I mean, it's it's talked about literally within the first right. ten minutes. So, we'll so stay I think it's that. okay, okay. So, to talk that generally that's what this movie is about. So that's you know, that's there, but I didn't think it's tackled head on. And I think that it, it kind of it just I don't know, I, I thought it got lost, frankly, uh in mm -hmm. in a lot of not fluff, just confusion. And uh there were certainly mm -hmm. startling moments. I think we were startled. I don't know about you, but uh, I felt startled. I don't know how many times I can say startled before it stops being startling. You've almost reached your quota. Well, well, I think what it what it was is that to to spoil the eventual conclusion to this episode, I also did not like this movie very much, but I also was never bored with this movie. It was consistently being like, I was not expecting that to happen, and it was like I wasn't expecting that to happen, and then I wasn't expecting that to happen. So like I was never. Uh, like, if we look back at some of the other films we've watched here in this season, uh, something we constantly bring up is Message in a Bottle, yeah. right? A movie that is rightly forgotten into the dustbin of history because that is straight up boring for two and a half hours of like, oh my gosh, just let this movie end. And this, I never felt that. I was like, I don't actually know how this movie's going to wrap up. And I'm very interested to know how it wraps up because <laughs> I literally could not tell you if we turn this off mm -hmm. now how this is going to resolve itself. Yeah, it's no Message in a Bottle. That's for sure. Yeah. Where I agree with you, Dave, is that I think for me, it's a little confused about what it wants to be and what it's really trying to say. I think that there's like these four different things that it's all trying to comment on. And I never felt that one thing led into the other to a satisfying uh, theme. And I think there is. I think that's what is so 
annoying to me is that I can see it. I can see where maybe a more talented filmmaker or if maybe John Irving had given it to a different writer where it wasn't so close to it, where they could have made those connections a little bit more concretely about, you know, how abortion and going off to war and uh, adoption. You're just and, spoiling and, it now. I guess You're the spoiling concept it. of- You're spoiling it. Now, nobody's going to go watch this movie now. And that's fine. I'm not saying anything is- Okay. I mean, that's fine. But I mean, all of these concepts are, are put up, put in there. Even like race relations is kind of talked about a little bit. Oh, yeah. But all mm-hmm. of it felt like, here is Oscar bait the movie. So we're just going to do all of these topics in one film- and throw it at you, and then it's up to you to decide about what you what you feel about this. So I never felt like there was certain things that were earned. I'm still not sure if you liked the movie or not. However, I think we should have a deeper conversation about this in spoilers, where we can really delve into all of those topics. So before we get there, let's talk about some of the backstory to this movie. Let me tell you this. The Cider House Rules was released on December 10th, 1999, And that is a date we've already said on this podcast because that was the same day that The Green Mile was released. Written and directed by Frank Darabont, starring Tom Hanks, Michael Clark Duncan, David Morrison, Doug Hutchison. And as you might remember from that episode that we've already released, it was also the day that the great film classic Deuce Bigelow Male Gigolo was released, which was written by Harris Goldberg and Rob Schneider, directed by Mike Mitchell, starring Rob Schneider, William Forsythe, and Eddie Griffin. We've already talked about Oscar snubs, so... I know, there we go. Uh, This is where, as we said, me and Dave are on the minority opinion here on this podcast, because it is currently rated 7.4 on IMDb. It has a 75 on Metacritic. And on Rotten Tomatoes, from 112 critics, it is rated 71%. And from 53,498 users, it is rated 77%. Fools. All of them. So it is definitely a very positively thought of film. No, I refuse to believe those numbers. Clearly (laughs) manipulated by uh, the producer of this film. Its budget was $24 million. Uh, which I feel like is a steal based on the acting talent yeah. they have in this film, that it was only $24 yeah. million. Okay, we keep bringing it up, but if Runaway Bride is $60 million. Is, yeah, I know. I know. $60 million. The fact that this was made for $24. 60. Uh, it It opened, 60. it must have had a very limited release because it opened to $110,000. But domestically, it would go on to make $57 million. Internationally, $31, which brings it to a total of $88 million. or with inflation, that's $138 million. So it made a tidy profit. Like, this was a successful mm-hmm. movie as far as box office goes. Its plot description from IMDb is a boy who communicates with spirits. Oh. <laughs> wow. No, it's not. That is from the... Wow. we just did that. <laughs> that's from The Sixth Sense from, uh, from last week. I think week. you're seeing dead people. So let me tell you wow. what the actual... That is so hilarious. <laughs> I did not like, update wait, my Wait, I think I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, I was really like, wait a second. No, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> a boy who interacts with spirits has an abortion. Oh, wow. Um, that, you got to no, leave that, that in the, the cut because uh, if that doesn't get uh, us some listeners, I don't know what will. Yeah. It's plot description from IMDb is actually a compassionate young man raised in an orphanage and trained to be a doctor there decides to leave to see the world. Which, I, again, is not, is I guess, sort of what this movie is no, about. It's not. But, uh, it, yeah, not a great description. It's not a great description, no. 
Uh, it stars Tobey Maguire as Homer Wells, Charlize Theron as Candy Kendall, Michael Caine as Dr. Wilbur, Wilbur Larch, and Delroy Lindo as Mr. Rose. Uh, anything we want to say about those actors specifically? Yeah, my research yields that Tobey Maguire is an asshole. I love assholes. Just unapologetically. <laughs> yeah, no. it, you know what's crazy is, uh, so he is the uh, one of the main antagonists in the Molly's Game true story. Right. And some of the stories... But they don't actually name him by name. Yeah, I don't Michael Sarah plays him as Player X or whatever, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a an anecdotal story by Molly that uh, he's a piece of shit. And when he was on a downturn, she I guess the whole game is feeding him, uh, quote, air quote, whales. He find, apparently is a sore loser and a sore winner. So when he finally turned it around, I think he won a million bucks. He like put it in everybody's face and then he was going to tip her a $100,000 chip. And he told her to bark like a seal for the money. Bark like a seal. Yikes. Yeah, he's gross. And then um, the other thing about that, which is, I don't, I don't want to beg too much on this, but when he found out that she was actually yeah. making money, you know, through this poker setup, he got angry about it and apparently started his own private celebrity poker game to take her clients away. That's like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason why this guy doesn't make movies anymore. He's just apparently just a piece of shit. So yeah, he, I don't, I can't even tell you what the last movie he was in. Brothers, was. I think I saw, but. I didn't watch okay. it. But from like what? Like eight yeah, years ago? 2013, yeah. Yeah. He's wow. close. Alex, what is your what is your uh, interpretation of Tobey Maguire? Like what do you know him from other than this movie, of course? The Spider-Man movies. Yeah. MTV's best kiss. That's that's yeah. all that's all I I know him of. So I I, I this is the first time learning of it. Congratulations, Dave. Yeah. You're enlightening me. Uh, I feel, feel great because it's fun to crush people's <laughs> dreams. Uh well, here's the thing, Alex. Uh, you know, when we hypothetically watched this last night and not right now in the uh, context of this podcast, uh, just as we were approaching the digital video disc player, Kyle and my wife, Helen, both voiced their opinion that Toby McGuire was super gross. And I was the apologetic one. It's like, Spider-Man's awesome. And Kyle said, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man's uh, suck. So we were already fighting before the movie started. Uh, but uh, doing mm-hmm. some research, I was I, wrong. I, I get. I, yeah, am in, I was wrong. I am in a bit of the minority opinion there too, because I know there's a lot of love for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. I am one of those obnoxious, like I don't know, white nerds, who's like, not my Spider-Man. <laughs> like that's basically what, what I say. <laughs> Tobey Maguire was a was actually a pretty decent Peter um, Parker. Peter Parker. I just don't mm-hmm. think he's a good Spider-Man. And I know that's a weird thing to say. Andrew Garfield, for me, was the exact opposite. He was a great Spider-Man, but an awful Peter Parker. It's like, this pretty boy is not Peter Parker. He's too good looking to be Peter Parker. Sure. And then I think, I think uh, what's his face? The uh, new guy, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Is like the perfect match of the two, where he's like, he's a good, quippy Spider-Man. And I, he's a conceivable, like, dorky, nerdy kid. That's me on my high horse about, like, I guess... Spider-Man 2 is fine, but it's not like the second coming like a lot of people try and tell me it is. Wow. No bitterness there. Yeah, no emotion. That was no bitterness. Pure, pure fact and <laughs> rationality. Um, just if it makes you feel any better, just imagine me watching Spider-Man 3 with my arms crossed and being like, well, I think, no. I think that's how everybody watched <laughs> well, Spider-Man I guess that was 3. I'm pretty sure. I was, that, I was like that for the first Spider-Man 2. <laughs> that was like, no, no. And I'm willing to phone it. And that's how you can tell that I am the worst type of critic 
because even though I wasn't a huge fan of the first Spider-Man, I still went the other two. I still went and saw the other two in well, theaters. Well, Spider-Man Two is great. All right, we'll stop this before we start punching each other on Zoom. That's what I've been waiting for since episode one. I mean, Charlize Theron is great. I mean, I think she could conceive of like realistically could beat me up like right now. Well, uh, I have no. Do you know a little bit about her backstory? So, not other than she's from South Africa. That's about the only thing I know. Her mom killed her dad. Would you what? like to hear this story? I guess because that's going to be more interesting than the movie. <laughs> so, <What? laughs> hey, oh, so apparently <laughs> she grew up fairly poor in South Africa. I can't remember if they're farmers or what I, industrial something. I can't remember that. But her dad was an abusive alcoholic, and so uh, when she was growing up, I think she's an only child. Uh, this guy would uh, be cruel. Uh, to the mom and to the daughter, to the point where one day he shot uh, a gun at them. And wow. apparently her mom also had a gun and shot him to death and uh, was exonerated of all charges because of self-defense and because the guy's a piece of crap. But apparently this is, so I revealed this to Helen and she's like, oh yeah. She opened about uh, in an interview about that a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm sure she fuck? did. Yeah. I guess I don't watch those interviews, no, though. That's I don't wild. Wow. Um, and the other thing that I thought was fascinating about her is, uh, I mean, this is a little, this is just sort of surface level uh, research, but uh, so she came to America to be a dancer, I guess, got hurt. When she went to LA, she was so poor, she apparently stole bread to eat, like some Jean Valjean. Oh, Jean Valjean, I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. 24601 over here, Charlie's uh, Theron. Yeah, luckily she <laughs> didn't meet her Javert. Now we're just going to uh, look like total losers. All right, okay. From the top, we're going to sing Les Mis. Valjean <laughs> at last. No, and so <laughs> the story of her discovery is that she was at a bank and couldn't cash checks like for her survival. And as she's flipping out and arguing with the bank teller, a talent agent happens to be the person behind her, cashes the check for her, gives her a card, and tells her to come and become part uh. of Hollywood. Is it fascinating? Yeah, fascinating. Oh, yeah, that's wow. That's really interesting. Um, I I know she's had her run in with. I don't think it was Harvey Weinstein, but a producer like that. Uh, I remember listening to this on Howard Stern actually, of her like uh, having to make a choice. Like, do I do this thing he's asking me, or do I say no? And she said no. And yeah, there's something. I, I, it, that specific anecdote didn't come up, but there's something about her making the choice to not be ta- typecast as the bimbo and looking solely yeah. to, you know, work her way into acting. I mean, I think it helps that she's so beautiful that she got so many opportunities to do that because if you look at her sort of CV, it, a lot of actresses wouldn't even got the opportunity to, to be in such a variety of roles. And she does everything, man. She does comedy, mm-hmm. drama, action. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I mean, like Michael Caine is Michael Caine. I, I think... He, Mm-hmm. I mean, started in Alfie years and years and years ago, has had this extensive career, has won a couple of Oscars. Basically, Christopher Nolan loves him because he's in every single every single Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, if you can find it, because it's super hard to find on streaming, the movie Sleuth, the original Sleuth, not the remake they made in the 2000s, him and uh, Laurence Olivier, and it's a great movie. I love it a lot. Uh, and then uh, Delroy Lindo... If you have not seen the Netflix movie The Five Bloods from Spike Lee yet, definitely check it out because he gives a phenomenal performance, I think, in that movie. He's like, but he was also Malcolm X, and he's been in a bunch of movies well, he's over the last trade. like 40 years. Yeah, Delroy, don't fuck around. I like him. Yeah. Well, and we will talk about this movie, but... Uh... You know. Right. I mean, I don't. I don't think he's at fault for this oh, movie. No, no, I think I it's know. the script. But, but. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like the Sam Neill thing. Event Horizon ruined Sam Neill for me. I uh, mm. could never look at him 
as a human being after he became Satan. Not even Jurassic Park? Come on. It's weird to watch him now. I just feel like he's going to take me to the other side. Cruise me out. Cruise me out, man. This this movie was written by John Irving based on his novel of the same name. As far as I can tell, this is his only screenplay that he's ever written, although a few of his other books have also been adapted into becoming films, the two big ones being The World According to Garp and Simon Birch. Uh, His other books include A Prayer to Owen Meany, A Widow for One Year, An Avenue of Mysteries. So if you're into bestseller lists and stuff like that, you have probably heard of John Irving before. By the way, before I forget, something I forgot to record here. This movie is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy it on iTunes, and that is it. Don't do There's that. There's no streaming option for the Cider House rules in Canada. Libraries, libraries are free. Libraries are free. Libra- libraries are your friend in this case. This movie was directed by, I think you say it, Loss Hallstrom. You but watched I, your That's, a, that's right? a guess. Yeah. That is a guess on how to actually pronounce his, his name. And boy, Dave, did you look at his career? Because it is a doozy. Uh, he started doing TV episodes and then directed seemingly every single ABBA music video ever. Uh, I counted 33, including ABBA the movie that came out in 1977. Uh, <laughs> what? That is that is where he started. I, like I don't like take that so information how you want. He's, <laughs> he's the Swedish Spike Jones. He made a few films in the 80s, but he really came to prominence with What's Eating Gilbert Grape in 1993 and then he'd go on to make this movie chocolat uh i believe is how you say it chocolat Chocolat. it's a chocolate uh (laughs) the shipping news and casanova and in recent years he's done salmon fishing in the yemen a dog's purpose which may be one of the worst films of all time and uh, a movie in 2018 called the nutcracker in the four realms no idea what that is. Uh, there are no upcoming films for him. So that's that's Los Holstrom, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Someone send me like a pronunciation guide so I can actually say his name properly. Does anyone have anything to talk about well, like his like previous films? I think the only one I've actually seen is What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I've only ever seen the Cider House okay. rules from him. And I actually, I have heard of the Nutcracker and the really? Four Realms. Finally, a man of culture. Tell me what it's about. Yeah, I have no idea, but I remember, I remember hearing right. about it. I, I may have seen a trailer back when it was coming out, but other than that, I know nothing about him. This is the only movie I've ever seen. What's Eating um, Gilbert Grape was a big one. That was Leo's yeah. first Oscar, right? Or did, nomination? Uh, Oscar nomination. Yeah, yes. where he plays. Uh, Mm-hmm. mentally disabled uh, fella i wonder if that would hold up in today's uh right cancel culture to be on um i don't know the only thing i really remember is it being johnny depp being like super reserved like it's not the and johnny beautiful. depp we know yeah, nowadays yeah. like he's like super reserved yeah. like no weirdness Glowing going on hair standing by an old pickup truck I, I hate yeah, yeah exactly and i don't i hate to say it this way but like i mean it's in the movie the big fat mother that they have to get a crane to get her out yes. of the house with. Yeah. But like, that's the two things I remember about that movie is basically those. Um, okay. Let's get into spoilers here now. That was the correct pause. That yeah, was, I know. That was Alex, correct. Alex, yeah. I, <laughs> Alex, I'm going to throw it to you. What do you think this movie is about? Huh? <laughs> I don't know if, I mean, Okay, so I, I actually, after watching this, I considered listening to the audiobook 
before before coming onto the show just so that I could kind of get a little bit more perspective. And so I go on Audible and it's 24 hours oh my long. God. And I'm like, no wonder, because that's almost as long as the entire Narnia series on Audible, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, yeah. And so I thought, no wonder I watched this and thought, okay, the book must be better and, and really tease out these conversations they're having here. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't have time to listen to that whole audiobook before we record. Well, especially because um, we just watched this we movie. We just watched so. it. And I was like, no time just for that. Just listen at 24 speed. It would have been okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, give me an hour. I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. I just want to freshen up here. Um, so I, what is it about? Um, <laughs> just, yes, that's what I I just asked. cut it there and the episode's <laughs> I, over? <laughs> <laughs> so... If if I had to say something, um, which I guess I'm on a podcast, so I might have to, I would say it is it's about people and how complicated people are and how everybody makes stupid decisions. Everybody makes good decisions, maybe decisions they think are stupid, though. And that's one thing that I really appreciated about it um, is that the world is complicated. Life is complicated. Robots are complicated. And sometimes, just like this movie, there isn't necessarily a purpose and it can still be enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> does that track for you, does that track for you, Dave? Uh no. Uh, I I I there's so many moments like uh where we could just cut off. Like Kyle, that was a great yeah and a pause. I like so I guess the positive is that it's not message in a bottle. So I I didn't want to turn well, off, yeah. I didn't fall asleep, and there was minimal groaning. There was definitely a lot of quizzical looks, uh, because uh, it, I think the movie struggles to find a tone. You know, we start off with this very long, drawn out, idealistic orphanage painting uh, where everybody's fucking happy and every like the, you know that's it's off putting to start. To be honest, in a in an incredibly offensive race, racist way, I was so put off by Michael Caine speaking Americana because I I just oh right I, I was I was really caught off yeah. guard with that. Um, You're not supposed to sound like that. Yeah, just like where's where's my Michael Caine? Michael, no, that's awful. And so, uh, by the way, I should point out I think he's trying to be Irish in this film. Really? Oh, I think that's what it. The, oh, I the, thought because he says his mother is Irish, didn't he? Yeah, he had an Irish backstory but it sounded like it was supposed huh. to be a, i mean why else give him an Oscar? Awesome, oh, I, I don't even yeah, well yeah. that's the other thing that was in the back yeah. of my mind we just watched sixth sense and it was just upsetting like i you know i like michael kane but uh how the fuck did Haley joel he, he did win best supporting actor oh, for this, this role so and then you know yeah. as they casually get into the as aforementioned abortion storyline i thought oh well here's a nice uh theme and then they just don't give a fuck about it for about 45 minutes, an hour. And then, Kyle, if you remember, as it develops, we were both sitting there like, well, he's going to perform an abortion because yeah. that's just... Which we, we were right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just how we got there was like not expected. Psychotic. And... Yeah. And you get slapped in the face a couple of times. But even those uh, slaps in the face, uh, they're so jarring because they're, to your point, Alex, if it's a 24-hour read, and actually to Kyle's point, if you have someone who's so close to what he intended the book to be about, probably the worst mm -hmm. choice for screenplay because he's probably running those uh, backstories in his head and not thinking about whether they can or ought to be expressed in a two-hour format. 
but the um, well because that's the thing right because uh, screenwriting and novel writing are very different skill sets where you can be you know have this uh, you know extended sequence of like beautiful language and telling backstory and in a movie it really has to be very visual like all this stuff that's fitting mm-hmm. into place or have very people being super pedantic and like literally just explicitly telling you what the film or what is going on in the film and i feel like this film felt like it expected people to understand have what happened between the cuts yeah Yeah. because Mm -hmm. um i like there's a there's a scene actually at the very near the beginning you know where when paul rudd and uh charlize theron show up and they basically say like oh are you performing this procedure and they're like okay we're gonna take you to whenever to the next room now next scene cuts and it's like Tobin we're walking into a room thinking and it feels like that's just a progression from that last scene but actually it's been like a fast forward of i don't know a day or like at least 12 hours or something like that um and she's like being wheeled out out of the procedure i'm like whoa like there's like whiplash because it's like it's cut together in such a weird way that things to me just don't feel like they're fitting with each other it literally feels like okay we're just gonna cut out portions of time just so we can go through the story beats of this of this novel that we're adapting to the screen to come back though to what i was saying before about theme honestly this is this is what i came up with eventually uh and i think this is what the movie is striving for and i don't think it actually succeeds in my opinion which is i think alex is right and it's setting up this idea that hey uh, everyone is flawed there's not necessarily easy answers to everything in life cool I, I i'm on board with that but then it houses a lot of that theme in lying for the greater good and in some situations i'm like okay like i i get it there is times to to lie because you're protecting a person or because you don't want evil things to happen to someone that you love how about if i spend my time wishing evil things on others and at other times it was like so am I supposed to feel sorry for this guy who raped his daughter? Like I didn't like I don't understand where where this where even the film is coming down on on the idea of that. And then it's like at the end, like the the character that Michael Caine is playing, I feel is like a shade away from being a total psychopath because it's like I'm going to pretend that Tobey Maguire is an actual doctor. I'm going to forge all these papers. I'm going to ether myself to death and I'm just going to have him come over here and take over because he likes these kids more than anyone else. I'm he's like, done out of love, a, He's done out of I love. Yes, but it's like, and all I'm thinking is like, but he's still not a doctor. Like I don't, like it feels so <laughs> weird to me that this is, that they're allowing this to happen. And like, literally like the two nurses are like, well, I'm glad he's back here at the orphanage. I'm like, but are <laughs> but are you? Because he, I don't know. It all felt so weird to to me. I don't know. What is your rebuttal to that, Alex? <laughs> rebuttal. I don't. You know. have the floor. <laughs> no. Is I'm, this a debate? No. I just want to make sure that it's not me and Dave like crapping on this movie for like an hour. I'm just waiting for my turn. Here. I so I mean obviously, um, rape is always wrong. There's no if ends or buts about it. And I think you're not meant to feel bad for him because i did not feel i did not feel bad for him but i think it's it's supposed to show you like how complicated people are and how the things that we do and the desires that we have can be in such conflict and i think obviously they used a very extreme 
example in this in this movie. But I think that helps to paint that picture and to to show like, yeah, this is not like life is not simple. It's not just like this man is just purely bad. He also has good intentions and good feelings and good thoughts and he cares about people, but he does evil things. And I think you can fit anybody that you meet on that spectrum. That, that's the way that I read into it, is that you're not meant to feel sorry for him. You're meant to appreciate that people are complicated. Even the bad people are complicated. Uh, you know, watching us or looking up the uh, time period where this is all written, you know, this post-Second World War existentialist line of thinking, which was the reflection, like you said, Alex, that morality and and ethics and all this stuff uh, was not black and white and everything got thrown out, particularly in the Second World War for our generation, because uh, not even just the Holocaust, the Holocaust in general uh, is, is, of course, culture forming, but the proliferation of wartime photography, of writing to show what it was like to be a soldier murdering your brothers, mm. sisters, people that you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think that in its intent, if we were to uh, imply that what they wanted to show is this complexity of humanity, so for example, uh, everything from Michael Caine uh, committing forgery, conning everybody, and just being a general fucking psychopath. That's my kind of vibe. To uh, daughter rapist, Del, you know, Del Rindo, uh, Delroy Lindo redeeming himself with some Harry Carey, you know, seppuku stuff at the end. Uh, I think there might be a theme that was worth exploring. It doesn't translate for me visually. It just, it seems apolo uh, apologetic. It, it seems like mm. there's this sense where uh, Kyle and I were discussing where the way they wrap up each of the storylines, you're like, well, at least the good guy won, you know? And Toby Maguire is not a good guy. He's, he also is like a sociopath the whole way. Like, he, there's nothing redeeming for me in the way he portrays... Uh, uh, whatever this weird Homer. Homer, you know, even the implication that he would be named after someone going on an odyssey, air quotes, uh, is a little frustrating because uh, that should have been a six-hour movie with like... It's, it's, it's a very uh, writer thing to do, by the way. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. if it's a 24-hour read, you know, and, and this story actually involves 60 stops and so many tests and so many reflections on different scenarios, I mean, that's one thing. But in a two-hour movie to just suddenly throw a knife fight out of the blue... Suddenly right, throw a yeah. rape in your face. Suddenly throw an abortion. You're just like, what? What is? I, I just happening. felt frustrated. Um, yeah. I, I think actually you're hitting on something. Um, I'm curious if you think the same thing with this, Alex. If there's a criticism I level at certain movies occasionally. It's not one I do all the time because most of the time I think movies are too long. <laughs> That's usually my criticism for a lot of films. And there's occasionally movies where like, oh man, I think this movie was actually too short because it needed time to like breathe. And I think you're hitting on something that I think this is why I was so frustrated with this is because it is structured like an odyssey, but not filmed like one. It doesn't feel like mm -hmm. he's going on a quest to understand the world more. It feels like he is literally, and I think, and I mean, to be mean a bit here, I think it's actually Tobey Maguire's acting that is throwing me off because I don't think he's a very good actor. Sorry. If there was someone more that could be that foil for the audience to bring us into that, where he's experiencing this world and he's maneuvering around it, more like a Forrest Gump who could go through different world events and feel like, hey, I'm going along on this ride. I think I would have been along for that more. And I think having this be a little bit longer would have been able to make it breathe. 
So, I mean, I'm asking for a lot here. Better actor and a little bit longer for it to stretch out. Better direction. Yeah. Better direction. I mean, I think it would be more like we talked about Eyes Wide Shut here recently, right? And I was like, oh, man, like a two and a half hour long movie. Like, I don't know. But for me, again, again, for me, for that movie, you really feel it with Tom Cruise. You need it to be that length to really feel like he is, A, going insane, but B, that he has gone on a journey over that one night. Because <laughs> uh, we almost are feeling like we're in real time at certain points. And that's, I think, what I needed from this movie a little bit more, mm. is to feel that journey that he's on, rather than it just being random things that are happening out of the blue and like stone-faced actor in front of me. Anyways, that's me, I think, being more mean than I should be. But that's that's how I feel. Well, I, I, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, the plot description that you read out, <laughs> right. it's like man leaves orphanage, you know, to to go and travel the world or whatever it said. And it's like, no, man leaves orphanage halfway through the movie to go to another place in the same state. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, yeah, and in I the world. The, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. Like it's it's. He doesn't go exploring. I can appreciate the idea that, you know, he's exploring himself, right? And, you know, whatever, whatever poetic thing you want to pad onto there to ex- justify the the synopsis. But it did feel like they had this huge one hour thing. I th- I thought the orphanage was called the Cider House. Right. Thank you. Like, exactly. So this is so weird exactly. to me. It's like, I thought that that was the Cider House. And then when they, halfway through the movie, I'm like, oh, no, no, wait, this is the Cider House. He goes into a yeah, literal like, Cider House. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, wait, they're leaving. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think that the actual rules of the Cider House, which, by the way, another, this is says more about me. I've always like interpreted the movie's title wrong because I thought it was like the cider house. It rules. That's what I always like, thought that bro, this like, like it rules. Yeah. <laughs> but it's more like, no, there's actually rules that are written down inside of the cider house. Uh, anyways, what the most anticlimactic reveal. <laughs> don't fall off. The, a like, roof. The, yeah. like the four <laughs> ones in the left hand side. Like, okay, so they're just don't go on the roof, I guess, was the. Don't eat on it. Don't, don't sleep on it. Don't walk on it. What the I, fuck? I was felt that? like as the, that should have been more thematically resonant if you're going to name your movie after the Cider House rules. Like, yeah, that the rules should be that, important in some that, way. That was the big thing that got me thinking that the book must be better because I figured be, yeah. the book must have this as a continuous theme, as like a huge theme throughout it, instead of this like, oh, we don't read him because we didn't write him, and then later on in the movie he's like, let's throw him out. <laughs> It's like, I, okay, it's, I guess. I mean, I, yeah, none of us have read the book, but if they, yeah, if he had used the four lines of the roof as metaphors for the storylines that Homer mm-hmm. experiences, and at the end you're like, oh, well, he did eat on a roof and got right, diarrhea yeah, yeah. or something, and you're like, he shouldn't have yeah, done that. Did. I mean, that's one thing, but. Yeah, he shouldn't have slept on that roof or walked on that roof or ate on that roof. Nobody, was, until after they read the rule, there wasn't a single person on a roof. It. Mm-hmm. It's such a stupid rule. Yeah. <laughs> um, before I forget to about like the journey off into the world, maybe it's just because I don't know the geography of Maine all that much, but it also felt like he just went like two hours away. <laughs> like it wasn't like this huge quest to get to wherever he was. Anyways, that's a well, kind of like a side point. Until but. the end where like he drives to the port town, but then he's got to get a drive and a long train back, which I thought was mm-hmm. a really weird cut. I had no idea he was going back to the orphanage in that last... I thought he was just... I think that would have been a better ending if he had... 
like if they needed him back, but then he went on his way because the way they right. were shooting that train scene, you're like, he made his own decision and then he didn't. He just went back and he just went back. Yeah, he became a, an unlicensed doctor performing unlicensed abortions um, in a state where it was illegal. But it's okay because uh, Michael Caine had impeccable calligraphy. So mm -hmm. um, it was going to be all right. <laughs> Sounds to me like everything came up fake roses. Perfect ending. So, and I, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I, we have to address this too. And I say this as someone who is fairly to the left, like politically, <laughs> boy, did I feel talked down to this entire movie. It felt really, I don't know. Heavy handed. <laughs> Heavy handed is a good, a good answer to that. To stuff that I even agree with, I'm like, oh, like, okay, guys, like back off a little bit here with like, it, it felt to me. And I tell, I said this to Dave, if we had watched it last night, I said to him, this feels like a Reddit post to me. Like someone wrote a Reddit mm -hmm. post and there's like rebuttals back and forth underneath it. Like that's, they use that framing device a little bit of like the letters being sent back and forth, but like, I'm never performing an abortion because it's always wrong. And it's like, well, sometimes you never know what can happen. And, and then they literally have the example that every single person that is, uh, pro-choice says like well how about about rape and incest well let's just mash those two together and present it to our like main character and again i agree like i agree that in this case like the woman should be able to choose to have that but it was just like i don't know it felt like the the, the liberal party the movie uh, our thoughts on abortion <laughs> <laughs> like that's what it felt like to me a little bit I'm like all right even though even though i do agree with it i don't know i don't know if anyone else feels the same way it's interesting that you say that because uh, hypothetically, as Dave yeah. said earlier, I watched yeah. it the other night with my roommate <gasps> um, and they're pretty open people, understanding people, but probably more uh, conservative leaning or mm -hmm. right leaning, at least morality wise than I am. Or I guess I should put that in air quotes, quotes morality yeah. wise. I was going to um, say, what do you, what have you been doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, air, I dude? don't know. <laughs> He's been at those masked parties from eyes wide shut. It's great. <laughs> while, <laughs> uh, while we are streaming live on YouTube right now, uh, you can't see this, but Alex is like just smoking a stogie, like drinking like whiskey <laughs> and actually performing an abortion right now. It's draped really in, weird. Uh, draped yeah. in, you know, surfs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very talented. Um, uh, but yeah, so the, the folks that I watched it with are a lot, uh, less left leaning mm -hmm. than Kyle is and certainly than I am. And I'm assuming David as well. And, and so they kind of, they actually took it pretty well. Hmm. Um, so it's interesting that you watched it and thought, well, okay, you know, like you're just kind of saying stuff here. But they actually, I, the sense that I got from it was that it was a really good way to introduce the subject and introduce the topic and the complexity of it. Sure. And I think part of the reason that that worked is that there were other themes. There were other things happening. It wasn't just, just like, this it. is our one hill that we're dying on. And so that's kind of my, my rebuttal. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I, 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 I guess I hadn't thought of that before of like, taking a really hard topic and then couching it behind like other storylines to make it a little bit more palatable. I think maybe that's mm -hmm. what it is because I'm already there. It's just like, I get it guys. Like <laughs> enough of this. How about you, Dave? Do you I'm feel woke. that way? Or is I'm there... woke. I don't need I, this. I'm woke. <laughs> I, I'm what the, I'm what the kids call say awoke AF. So uh, I think I know a little thing about it. Yeah. I got this. No, I, uh, obviously Alex, you have, uh, 
you're in the trenches, right? I mean, you're not in a necessarily such a combative state that you're in, but you know, if you're watching, Alex, you're with, in a holy war, right? If you're watching it in America, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, if you're watching it in America, those uh, the terms are different than in. I mean, especially mm-hmm. right now in Alberta, it turns out we've got quite a lot of uh, right leaning white supremacist uh, religious fucking nutcases running around here too. But America is very weird in its polarization. Uh, so, I mean, that's one thing. So, I, yeah, I mean, I think if you're watching with some folks that are either on the fence or leaning one way and they're able to consume it and actually have a some type of discussion without ignoring it, that that's a quite a powerful statement to how this plays out. The, I didn't even realize, honestly, that this movie was trying to tell me something about the morality of ab- abortion. I um mm-hmm. You know, when Kyle's bringing up the letters, I had already zoned out. I had no idea what the content of their letter exchange was. I actually uh, and sort of interpreted it as sort of this uh, surrogate father-son uh, coming-of-age right. shit where it's like, you should go here. I don't want to. I'm my own man, like that Ooh. sort of stuff. I didn't actually pick up at all that they were um, going to go that way. It is heavy-handed in my mind just in the sense that it's so truncated in all of the storylines that when they need to show you something, like the uh, the knife fight comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Like what? Well, that's you the know, thing. Like, you're you just ca- like, I think did that happen? I, th- I mean, wow. yeah, I think you can kind of piece together like the why behind that later on. Sure, but do it's like supreme jarring. subtext. But it's like I agree. It's like literally we're watching this movie and all of a sudden like their knife fight. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what is what is happening in this movie? And not just like a gritty one. They they made him into ninjas and talking about how right. he's never you know his, his hands are so fast. This is why you don't fuck with this guy. You know, and you're like, so he's killed someone before. Like there's something about this well, environment. Well, there's like even when they come back, they're like he. uh he didn't know how does he phrase that? It's like he didn't know what his business. Oh was. right, right, right. He didn't know what yeah. his business was. Like so, he like for sure killed him, right? Yeah, like, that's what, like <laughs> for sure, that's what they they're talking about that they killed him, right? Like that's what we felt. Oh man, the other thing that kind of bothers me that's heavy handed, and this is a uh, sort of probably the product of our age and time is, uh, and I'm sorry to say this on this uh, interview, but the whitewashing and white savior shit in this movie is very off-putting. Um, Stop being racist, Dave. It w- like if I, you know, Alex, if if they had kept it like I thought, and you did in the microcosm of the orphanage, and this is shot in '99, and there are no black or minority characters in it. I mean, you know, that's basically every movie in Hollywood for a long period of time. That's one thing. Um, but the moment he goes to this orchard, and then he enters the house with the migrant workers. I mean, I was my eyes were rolling fucking pretty hard at that point because you knew that he would become this moral center and he was going to teach them the ways of like right and wrong, that he was going to be impervious to corruption. It was frustrating because, uh, and again, maybe this is a Tobey Maguire thing, but I, just, I couldn't get over this idea that I knew exactly that he would play this role of savior. And it's... Uh, it's annoying. Mm. It's really annoying for me to watch. Uh, I don't know if I, well, I wouldn't have watched as I didn't in 1999. And it probably wouldn't have uh, been an issue at that time at all, other than within the minority groups who are looking for representation. But right now, it's, it plays weird, man. I, I, uh, I didn't enjoy watching Tobey Maguire calmly go and save Erica Badu's life. Uh, the last thing, I guess, like as far as themes and stuff go, is the aspect of i think lying that gets brought up in this movie consistently 
And to different effects, right? You have like Michael Caine telling the Kieran Culkin kid to be like, don't tell the other kids like what is actually happening here. Like let them live in their fantasy world. And I have to interpret that to mean like every kid eventually crosses that threshold at the orphanage mm-hmm. where it's like, I'm keeping you in this fantasy world as long as I can until I show you what's really happening here. You have people lying uh, to themselves, people lying to other characters. I think that they're uh, people lying to the government. Uh, so I think there's this undercurrent of like knowing when to lie. Again, this is where it gets muddied for me a little bit because I don't even know where the movie falls on on this question. But I think it's there. I think it's trying to have this argument about not all lying is good, but sometimes lying is necessary. I don't know if anyone has anything to extrapolate on that. I mean, we lie about a lot of things. And I don't, I mean, I I think there's always the temptation to say that, you know, you should be absolutely honest and everything. But then you can just easily bring up the example of, oh, what if you're harboring Jews and the SS come by, right? Like, and then it's very quickly like, oh, well, maybe I should lie sometimes, right? And I don't know. I don't, (laughs) I don't think there's any any easy answer for that and i think you can pick through this movie and pick which lie is maybe a necessary lie and which lie is good and you know what fits where i think you could spend a whole podcast choosing each one and saying well that was a bad idea that was a good idea that was a bad idea uh but i i think Mm -hmm. that'd be a waste of time. We, yeah, we can't do that because we don't have a 24-hour podcast. And right. the other thing, I, you know what I, I would like to see, you know, the ideal in a in a bubble, in a pure sense, is that one ought never to lie. And then, yeah, we have learned that that is not strictly the case. It would have been nice if this movie maybe had been a trilogy to play that out in such a way that if you lie, then you need to be in a position where you accept the consequences of that lie for good or for evil. Because good and evil, at least for me, are, are human concepts. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, if Mako Kain, you know, forges this document to have a self-trained successor with, who really shouldn't be there uh, in an academic or, uh, or a procedural or whatever manner, shouldn't we see that that is going to cause Tobey Maguire problems in his life. That, you know, he, that is not okay to finish that movie and say that he did it because he loved you, that he lied to you about your heart, that he did all of these things for the better good. You can't end that story there. Mm-hmm. There have to be greater, th- even the Delroy Lindo, uh, you know, killing himself. It felt instead of being a wider moral discussion about maybe retribution and, and seeking some type of balance. It's it just, it's so hurried. And he's talking about just like gutting himself so that his daughter can get away, even though he impregnated her. Like it's, it's too quick. It's too ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the death of, is it Jack, the other, uh, the picker who don't yeah. fit in, you know, you could have played that rape abortion storyline with that dude. And it didn't have to be necessary. I mean, I thought that's where it was going to go. And to get that, me too. Yeah, gut punch that it was going to be the dad. I, I didn't know if it was necessary. Uh, unless you're going to make it into a wider spectrum where maybe there were other characters that were performing illicit. Like maybe Paul Rudd and Shirley Strong were not a couple. I mean, that could have been an interesting parallel where you get, not to rewrite it, but you know, if you have something with complexity where everybody's lying and you see, you know, in this case, because they had ill intent, then it's worse, or they weren't willing to take the repercussion. I mean, that's, you can have philosophical conversations about the role of language and how we communicate, but this movie 
felt like a justification that you can say whatever you want as long as it's done out of love and the American dream mm, and supporting mm-hmm. your family. It's like, fuck off. That's absolutely not true. Yeah. I, I do like the idea of this being a trilogy or you could call it the cider, the house, <laughs> the rules. Well, that's why Chronicles of Narnia <laughs> didn't work. But Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay. Just some, I just want to go through some very quick things here to wrap this up. Number one, I am convinced that... Charlize Theron and Paul Rudd on this very movie made a blood pact to never age <laughs> because my goodness, <laughs> uh, maybe not so much Charlize Theron. She looks very young in this movie, but Paul Rudd looks exactly like he does 21 years later. He's he's 50 something now and he still looks that good. I, I, it's not fair is what I'm trying to say. I'm pretty sure in Ant-Man, they draw in the wrinkles just just yeah. so that you don't realize he's a vampire. Um, I like seeing J.K. Simmons for like the two minutes he's in this film with no lines, like no lines <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. Oh, he's a lobster man. We, he's a lobster yeah. man. What, what, when he first popped in, we're, we're like, oh, J.K. Simmons is in this. Cool. And then he's like in a montage. Yeah, that's with it. No lines. We're like, what? Weirdly enough, There's got to be a deleted scene somewhere. Weirdly enough, was- his, his scene dragged. So. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> I- uh, we have to mention that two things. One, that Tobey Maguire tried to eat Charlie's Theron's face, uh, which was yeah, the fucking strangest. It was strangest... a very aggressive sex scene, and it was very off-putting to me. Actually, it makes you wonder if maybe there was originally in the book something that was supposed yeah. to parallel some of these other, because that, that was gross. And when they left the forest, she wasn't uh, pleased with his performance. No. She looked like uh, it it didn't go well. Kyle is very used to that expression on people's faces. And then there was there's a part where he's trying to console her on the wharf and she pushes him away. And I joked, Kyle, uh, that's probably like an improv because she's so grossed up by this dude. She's like, no, <laughs> fuck off. And they're like, we're keeping it. No. We're keeping that. We're keeping that looked great. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, at the risk of oversharing, I, I'm so sorry to do this, but I know that for a lot of people, it's a fantasy of theirs uh, to have sex like outside or out in the woods. And can I, I can tell you, all it is is dirt, ants, and leaves, and it's disgusting. The mulch. Don't do it. Oh just don't do it. It's like the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> the sweet. That's I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That, that's what I was thinking when that when that scene happened. I'm like, you're not that far from the car. Just like, <laughs> yeah, just like go right there. <laughs> just uh, just mosey on over. We're done here. Uh, the machine has told us that we do need to wrap up here. First things first, we do need to rate this movie like we do every movie. If you want to see our full entire list of movies that we have rated, all 44 of them, you can head on over to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. Uh, KDVSTM, by the way, is also where you can find us on uh, Twitter and on Instagram. But we first need to rate this movie. Alex, I say this to every guest, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, uh, and I'm sorry I have to say it this way. No, you're not. Your rating does not matter. But if you were to rate this movie out of five, what do you think you would give it? Uh, solid four. Wow. 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 <laughs> yeah. You can see me and Dave like shocked at, 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 at that statement. <laughs> four. Okay. I was going to give it a five just to spite you guys. Oh, wow. But oh, no. I no. was like, no, this I, is not a perfect I, movie, I feel like a four. four. Um, all right. So Dave, out of five, what would you rate this movie? Not a four. What? What's the opposite of a four? Like a one? <laughs> I think, uh. 
one one's a little vindictive uh i mean there was a random knife fight and um like you said i didn't fall asleep yeah if you're looking at this at least in regards to the other movies we've watched from 1999 like yeah it's just not as bad as some of the other stuff that we've watched so i can't rate it that low you know i'll bump up a little bit too because we have actually had a fairly complex conversation thematically coming out of this movie whether it succeeded in doing it intentionally or not so um i mean because when we talked about idle hands or message in a bottle we were done in 30 minutes yeah (laughs) there's not there's nothing uh other than just being angry so i might upgrade a two to 2.5 I, I might go middle of the road i i want to go lower so what's your final rating yeah two and a half well i was even more negative than you dave i final. am giving this a two a, a solid two just like you said like i'm i can't say i was bored in this movie i was constantly like i have no idea what's going on but there was and i think what angers me more like i said previously is that there I can see the elements of it. I can see these things that I think I would really love if it was handled in a better way, for lack of a good word to use, uh, from the filmmakers. So it's like it's extra frustrating because like I think there's actually a great movie hidden inside of this somewhere for me. There were moments every 15 minutes where it could have broken into like a psychological thriller, a horror movie, right? Like a whodunit. Mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. were so many little leads because there is something underneath it but uh, it just just became about uh, i'm not sure so that does mean that this averages out to 2.25 however we round down here on this show so that goes down to a two that does mean that it's tied with one other film it is tied with the very first film we talked on this podcast about which is varsity blues so do you think this is a better or worse film than varsity blues <laughs> Can you imagine comparing a, a movie in which Michael Caine wins a supporting actor role? Yeah, I know. <laughs> to James and Vanderbeek. James Vanderbeek's <laughs> football film. Yeah. And actually having to think about it. It's better than Varsity Blues. I, I, I wouldn't watch mm-hmm. Varsity Blues again either. And um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the clear I, I would agree with that. I, I would say it's better than that movie is too. So, that does mean. That entering our list at the 33rd position is the Cider House Rules. I can't believe how petty both of you are. Now, before we wrap up, uh, Alex, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet if they want to continue hearing from you or uh, reading from you? Yeah, so if you want to find any of my podcasts, you can go to mechoradio.com. That's M-E-C-H-O radio.com. Uh, that's where you'll find all of the shows that I uh, either host, co-host, or edit slash produce. And then from there, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Alex Williams. And I spell Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-N-S, because as you can imagine, there are a lot of Alex Williamses. To, to the extent where I honestly thought that is how you spelled your name for the longest time with an N, I'm like, that's an interesting spelling. I was duped, duped by the internet. You know what? <laughs> the lie is okay as long as his heart right. was in the right place. Yeah. Exactly. It came, it's it came out from love. of love. Uh, we should find out what we're reviewing here next week. I kind of think I might know just based on the fact that we have been talking about Oscar-nominated films here the past few weeks. But let me push this button. Ah, 
Yes, I was right. Dave, next week, we're going to be reviewing The Insider. The Insider. Talking about cigarettes and big tobacco. Alex, have you ever heard about The Insider? And have you ever watched it? I've not. You should. It is also another film that is, I think, I have seen The Insider. I actually really like it, uh, but it is not a film that anyone talks about (laughs) at all anymore. It's Um, uh, We should have, actually, I think we kind of answered this in our talk, but... uh, do you think that the Cider House Rules has any <laughs> cultural relevance anymore? Do you think anyone in 20 more years is going to be talking about this movie? No. Yeah, me neither. I literally don't <laughs> think so. I think it's going to be lost to time pretty easily. It's yeah. a great deadpan answer. For a four out of five, Alex, I'm going to hold you to this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was good. Yeah. I just don't hey. think it's important. You know, I think there are other things having the conversation better. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's movies that I also like them. Like, no one's ever going to watch this again, but I enjoy it. <laughs> I think the fat, simple fact that it is not available to stream anywhere is the, mm-hmm. the, the tick against it. Yeah, it's, it's hard. You, you've seen this actually time and time again, how movies have had like a second life because they are on like Amazon Prime or Netflix or somewhere else. So people can easily just watch them. Um, and then things that aren't easy to find are just like they kind of get lost over time. All right, so Dave, man, I have just accumulated so many more of these urns. Here, just take this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and just, uh, just go, just go burn that. <laughs> Don't look inside. I thought you were gonna say go fuck yourself. I love assholes.